This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast. Welcome to Property Patter. When I was a fashion-conscious teenager, my ultimate shopping treat was a visit to Topshop in Oxford Street. Times change, especially in light of COVID-19, but it was still a huge shock to hear that at the end of last year, Topshop had gone into administration. Landlords are likely to see more tenant administrations during 2021, as well as other types of tenant insolvency. So I've invited Bethan Cuniff from our corporate restructuring and insolvency team and Sam Lear of our real estate disputes team to talk today about the options for landlords faced with these situations. Bethan, as an expert in insolvency, uh, would you mind starting by explaining to our listeners what an administration actually is, please? What's its purpose? Yeah, of course. So I think Generally speaking, administration is a procedure which allows for the reorganisation of a company or the realisation of a company's assets under um, the protection of what's called a statutory moratorium. So this is the key tenet of administration. And essentially, the statutory moratorium provides a company administration with breathing space, um, during which time the administrator can reorganise the company's affairs or conduct an orderly realisation of the company's assets. And, And this is the key part without pressure from the creditors of the company. And that's because the moratorium itself restricts the ability of third parties, so this would include creditors, from enforcing their rights against the company without either the prior consent of the court or the office holder. Um, I think another key point to note about a moratorium is that it also prevents the commencement of alternative insolvency procedures. So, for example, it would preclude a creditor from initiating a winding up proceeding against the company. The way I like to see a statutory moratorium is effectively placing a kind of protective wrapper, bubble wrap, if you like, around the company. Um, And when you think about it, I think it makes sense because absent the statutory moratorium and this kind of bubble wrap, the ability of the administrator to implement the strategy for the company's rescue or for asset realisation would be severely impeded. And of course, landlords cannot forfeit or issue proceedings to recover rent or commence commercial rent arrears recovery without the consent of the court or the administrator. And during uh, COVID times and the restrictions that are currently in place, uh, these options are not available um, in any event. Um, So this provides additional headaches for the landlord. Yeah, and I I think it's it's probably worth bearing in mind what the statutory purposes of the administration are, because that obviously goes to why we have this protective wrapper in the first place. Um, and this is this is going to be key for any office holder. So they have to have due regard to the statutory purposes. And indeed, they have to be comfortable that at least one of them is capable of being satisfied prior to accepting the appointment. So in order, and these are prescribed in statute, the first purpose of administration is to actually rescue the company as a going concern. So, for example, if a company has entered administration because it's facing financial difficulties, the role of an office holder under the first objective would be to perhaps restructure the company's balance sheet with a view ultimately to enabling the company to exit administration on a much more sound financial footing and just to carry on conducting business as normal. Failing that, the secondary objective would be to achieve a better result for the company's creditors than if the company were to proceed with a a terminal insolvency procedure. So an example of where this might bite would be if a company had potentially lucrative assets, say in the form of a business division, And an administrator was of the view that in the event the company entered administration and, of course, was afforded the benefit of this kind of protective wrapper in the form of this statutory moratorium, 
it would enable the administrator to conduct a marketing process with a view to ultimately selling that asset and thereby kind of preserving value and achieving a better result for the company's creditors than if we you know, kind of proceeded immediately with um, insolvency, with liquidation, which can be quite value destructive. And failing that, the last of the statutory objectives is to realise property in order to make a distribution to one or more of the company's secured or preferential creditors. So that's very interesting. I mean, I completely understand the the bubble wrap analogy is a really great one, actually, and this idea, obviously, of the the idea of rescuing the company. Um, sometimes, of course, landlords come across that rescue via a prepack administration, where the sale of the business is arranged before the administrator is appointed, and so a landlord's immediately presented with NUCO as the occupier and effectively asked to give its retrospective uh, seal of approval. Beth and I know this makes quite a few landlords quite cross. What are some of the perceived advantages and criticisms of pre-pack administrations? Yeah, indeed. So I think one of the biggest perceived advantages of a pre-pack is the fact that it does result in quite a quick and relatively smooth transfer of the business to a new owner. So indeed, the first time that the public um, will hear about prepack is actually after it's been affected and more often than not once it's hit the press. So I think from the public's perspective or you know, the consumer or the customer, it does appear to be a very smooth transition and it is very quick. And in terms of our interplay, our interactions and our contractual obligations with the company, um, ordinarily they can continue on completely undisturbed and that in turn saves jobs. And I think that that probably also leads into the fact that prepacks can be quite um, kind of preservative when it comes to a brand's PR and reputation. And if you kind of contrast that to a position where perhaps the company's in financial difficulties and that's leaked to the press and an M&A process is played out in public, you know, conversely, that can be quite value destructive. I think another perceived advantage of a pre-pack, although query if it is really an advantage, is the fact that there may actually just be little other choice. So if there's absolutely no funding available for an administration, then it may simply just not be possible for an administrator to continue to trade the business, you know, on the hope that later down the line, they might be able to sell the business or otherwise restructure the business. So the alternative in that scenario would be the immediate cessation of the company's business and to proceed to liquidation, which, as I've said, can be quite value destructive. And then in terms of the perceived criticisms of prepacks, I think one of the main perceived criticisms of prepacks concerns this idea of there being um, at least potentially a lack of transparency and accountability. So as I've already touched upon, the first that the public can often hear about this is when it is already been affected. And for unsecured creditors of the company, they often, again, don't realise that a prepack has been affected until it's already happened. So therefore, they don't really have the opportunity to protect and preserve their interests by, for example, considering and voting on a prepack proposal. I think in a similar way, businesses or assets sold via a prepack are ordinarily sold with really quite limited marketing when you compare that to the position of ordinary M&A or um, a acquisition process in administration. I must say that the position of unsecured creditors is in stark contrast to the position of secure creditors. So for secure creditors, they're actually ordinarily quite intrinsically involved in the prepack. And that's because, as you can imagine, to the extent that they have security over the assets which the office holder is looking to sell, the office holder is going to want them to consent to release their security so as to enable that asset to be sold unencumbered. So, as I say, they're actually quite intrinsically involved in the process. I think one other perceived criticism that's perhaps worth noting is this idea that a 
prepack can be perceived to be similar to the outlawed practice of creating what's called Phoenix companies. So this outlaw outlawed practice involves a company being put into liquidation by management and either immediately before or shortly thereafter that business is transferred to a new Phoenix company but the debts of the old company are left behind so they sit with the now liquidated company. So I think there tends to be a bit of suspicion among creditors when a prepack has affected um, a sale of a business to the shareholders of the now liquidated company or management of the now liquidated company. And I think, you know, I'm surmising that perhaps that's because that is seen as akin to kind of asset stripping or enabling dumping of debts, however you want to label it. Um, but I should say the law has kind of come some way to mitigating against this risk. Um, so I think perhaps in large part due to this criticism, there are now significant disclosures that need to be made to creditors in the event that a prepack is being affected to connect to parties. But that's perhaps uh, for another day for another podcast. Yeah, definitely. And that sounds really interesting because it is definitely, I think, the thing that that irritates landlords is when they're, you know, <laughs> landlords do not like losing control of who's in occupation of their property. And as you say, also that sense of, well, hang on, I'm actually dealing with the same people. All right. So I'm not so cross about the the, the occupation situation, but hang on, you, you did just owe me a lot of money. Um, and uh, I think that is what what irritates about the prepack scenario. But it's interesting, you know, these changes that you say, because I definitely have noticed a lot less prepacks. There was a time when it was just sort of almost becoming standard. Um, and I think, again, that will have, you know, increased the irritation. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save that one for a, for a future podcast, definitely. Um, I want to hear more about that. Uh, but let's think about what landlords can do when they find out that their tenants gone into administration, um, leaving aside the COVID restrictions, which, again, justify a podcast in themselves um what can landlords do sam when they're when they're faced with that situation so the main considerations for landlords are likely to be um either what happens about the rent arrears and whether it's able to get the property back um in terms of the property if an administrator does not seek to return the property to the landlord of its own volition then that you know really does rather leave forfeiture as the only means of of um, achieving that aim. Now, given the likely expense with have, having to go through the court route, a landlord might be best advised to approach the administrator in the first instance and seek their consent. If consent is not given, then there are some general principles that have been laid down um, in the case of Reatlantic Computer Systems PLC about how a court will, will deal with such a request. And as to be expected, it is usually a balancing exercise. Great importance is to be attached to the interests of the landlords. The administration is for the benefit of the unsecured creditors, but usually the court should decide that it is not at the expense of those who have proprietary rights, such as landlords. Now, the difficulty of forfeiture, particularly when it's going to be a bit of a long game, as it would be in this case, uh, they need to be very careful not to inadvertently waive its right to forfeit. Now, this can happen when the landlord has knowledge of the tenant's breach, um, which, and administration is often an event of insolvency in most leases. Um, they perform an unequivocal act which recognises the lease as continuing to exist, and they can communicate that act to the tenant. So this could include, for instance, accepting rent or sending rent demands. 
it was confirmed just the other day um, by Lord Justice Lewison in the case of Rafe and Burnley Borough Council, that waiver takes place where the landlord demands or accepts rent, which accrued due after the date of a breach known to the landlords, which pretty much confirms what we already knew. Given the restrictions on forfeiture and the possibility of the right arising much further down the line, landlords might prefer to sit tight, take the cat, and review the position later on. And I know that Bethan can provide a bit more information about um, rent. It's rather interesting. Yeah, exactly. So sitting tight is an option, as you mentioned, Sam. So generally speaking, if the administrators continue to use the premises for the purpose of the administration, so for example, by continuing to trade the business from that premises or allowing others to trade from it. Um, so an example of that would be by the affection of a prepack, as we discussed slightly earlier, where perhaps NUCO is operating from the old business, then the administrators will remain liable to pay that rent and all other sums that are due under the lease in respect of that period is what's called an expense of the administration. And that essentially means that those sums are payable as a priority, which therefore means they must be paid before sums owing to majority of other creditors. And that's obviously good news for landlords, particularly if they choose to sit tight. Um, the rent and those sums will continue to accrue at a daily rate for the period in which the property is used by the administrators and they'll be payable in the ordinary way. Yes, I mean, that change, uh, you know, in the law has definitely made a big uh, change in landlords' attitudes, in my experience, because previously, before we had that, and administrators would often partly have a lot else on their plate than paying the rent, but were very rarely keen to pay the rent. Um, obviously, it's extraordinarily irritating to have somebody in your property who's not paying the rent for it, and you've got no guarantee you're going to get the rent, um, and it's all rather uncertain. So, since the rent has been paid as an expense of the administration, it it has gone, I think, some way to landlords being more cooperative. But to come back to your point, Sam, the key question initially really has to be, do you want the property back or don't you? Because obviously there may be some windfall a landlord can get from the situation if it's intending to redevelop. Because yes, there might be breaches later down the line you could rely on, but the administration, obviously, that could be a key breach to rely on. I think we have also found that administrators do sometimes approach um, landlords asking for rent-free periods as well. So landlords might want to be very careful before agreeing to do such requests, you know, given the rights that it does have um, for rent to be paid um, during this process. Yes, definitely. And, you know, th th to finish up, Sam, have we got any tips for landlords who are dealing with a tenant in administration, you know, thinking particularly of those sorts of traps, things to avoid? Firstly, to obtain uh, legal advice, first and foremost, that's always that's always a good start. Um, communication with the administrator is likely to be quite important, no matter which route you, you go down. Um, and you need to be wary of the limitations of the process, as well as the rights that it provides you, uh, and in particular, you know, your right to forfeit, and ensuring that you do not inadvertently waive the rights as we've just discussed. If landlords do wish to keep the tenants um, on the hook, they need to be very wary of any attempt by an administrator to surrender. And this can often be quite sneaky because sometimes um, a party seeking to surrender a lease will merely hand back the keys and an unwary landlord can inadvertently accept them, um, which could lead to a surrender having taken place by operation of law. So if the keys are returned to the landlords, they need to decide very quickly what to do about them, um, whether to 
accept them and allow the parties to move on, or to reject them, return them, and treat the, the lease as continuing. Another issue that landlords might want to be wary of, particularly when they're deciding whether or not they want the property to be returned, is their liability for business rates, uh, because business rates will return to the landlords once the lease is determined, are subject to a certain number of exemptions. And the period at the moment is three months from uh, property being vacant. Therefore, there may be some benefits in seeking to keep the administrators on the hook by not accepting the keys or any proposal for surrender, even though if the administrators are not trading from the company, then there will be no obligation to pay rent. Now, a surrender or forfeiture is only likely to be attractive if the landlord has a ready and willing tenant waiting in the wings. If not, it would be sensible to hold the administrators liable for costs rising from the premises. But this needs to be balanced against having certainty of having the property back and the landlords having the ability to deal with it as they wish. Yes, there can be some real practical and legal issues on that side, can't there? Um, as you say, I'm always very wary about people accepting keys and inadvertent surrenders without proper legal checks being done. And it's amazing how we still get occasionally landlords who have done that and accepted keys without those checks and without realising what the acceptance of the keys actually meant. Um, and uh, yeah, that can be a real problem. But you know, there's there's never really a you know a, a, a clear cut answer. So much depends on the on the circumstances, as you say. You know, thinking about whether you've got a tenant waiting in the wings or not. And sometimes you can reach agreements with administrators to allow you to market the premises. But you know, as you say, they remain on the hook for the business rates. So um, always a lot to think about. Um, thanks very much both for explaining those key points on tenant administration. For our listeners, we do have bite-sized guidance notes on this topic and on other forms of tenant insolvency. Uh, and those are in the surveyors refresher area of our website. So please just send us an email if you would like access to that area. In the meantime, thanks very much for joining us and look after yourselves. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.